Well, hello there, and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. It's Thursday, and um, last uh, Thursday show, we uh, didn't exactly announce what we were doing this Thursday. We said, it's a new series, and yes, it is a new series. This particular series is probably, I would say, the single most in-demand series by collectors of vintage radio shows. I first heard these shows back in the 1970s uh, when they first sort of came rolling out. They are not all available. Only a small amount of them are available. And the search for more has gone on for the past 50 years, and I don't think more have been found. Allegedly, there are more somewhere locked up, but they're not available. And until they are, we don't know for sure that they even exist. What am I talking about here? Okay, I'm talking about I Love a Mystery, which was basically a afternoon soap opera for teenage boys, but a cut above that because it, it really delved into a lot of subject matter that most likely would have been a, a more adult program, yet it aired during the afternoon, if I'm correct in this, I think I am, but this definitely wasn't a kid's show. This was this was not for um, eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds. This was for, I, w- I would say, teenagers on up, and uh, mostly geared towards teenage boys and their sense of adventure and mystery and following uh, unusual things. The shows that exist all came from one source. Uh, Carlton E. Morse himself, who was the writer of the show, had some transcriptions made of some of the later series. Now, there were two series. There was one in the early 40s and late 30s, and then it was revived again by Mutual in 1949. And most of the recordings that exist are from the revival. But even there, It was on for three or four years, and we don't have three or four years' worth of recordings. We have a very small amount. And some of them are are incomplete because the show ran in chapters. There were usually um, as many as 15 to 20 chapters for a particular um, storyline. A lot of those just don't exist. I have picked the one that was always... There were two that were my favorites, uh, the... um, The Thing That Cries in the Night, which is the one that we're going to do in segments over the next seven weeks. And the other one was Temple of Vampires. We could do Temple of Vampires, but some of the chapters are missing. You can kind of figure out what's going on, but it's sad because it doesn't, they're not all there. Um, but we do have everything for things that, the thing that cries in the night. What we don't have uh, are all the original openings and closings. When the transcriptions were transferred, the person who transferred them, who borrowed them from the Carlton E. Morse family, didn't choose to record all the openings and closings and the narrations where they kind of recapped what was going on. There are some of them, he did some of them, but he edited a lot of them out in an effort to save tape, save reel-to-reel tape. And those recordings, as far as I know, that were owned by the Morse family, I don't know where they are now, and no one has ever taped them or recorded them or restored them. So what we have is what we have, and we have to live with that. The new series has uh, a very familiar voice 
to those of you who watched a lot of uh, 60s and television 60s and 70s television uh, Tony Randall is on these um, uh, playing Reggie York and there are other great radio voices within this show as well um, you'll also hear Mercedes McCambridge the voice of the devil in the Exorcist uh, here she plays a, a little uh, kind of a, a mousy young lady uh, named Charity Martin and there's not much more I can say about this. I don't want to give the plot away. If you've heard it, you know what it is. If you've never heard it, that's even better. Uh, you're going to hear it over seven different podcasts. There's 15 episodes. So we will have two each week for six weeks. And then on the seventh week, we'll finish up with the final three episodes. So if you've heard this, you'll, you'll know how good it is and you'll enjoy it. If you've never heard it, uh, prepare to return to your teenage boy self and uh, have fun listening to the adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie. Here we go with the original first one from October 31st, which I guess would have been Halloween or the day after Halloween. Uh, 1949, and then we'll go straight into the second one from November 1st, 1949. The first two episodes of I Love a Mystery, The Thing That Cried in the Night. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love a Mystery. I wouldn't believe it myself. Only here it is, spread over the front pages of every newspaper in the country. <laughs> you believe everything you read? Well, of course I do. A newspaper wouldn't dare print anything that wasn't true. <laughs> Doc, you haven't done a thing but read those papers since they were taken on at San Francisco. Darn interesting reading, too. Look at this picture of me. Doc Long, the modern Tarzan, who slew a mountain lion with his bare hands. All right, Tarzan, fold up the newspapers. <laughs> what you mean, fold up the newspapers? Stop reading that stuff before you begin to believe it. Remember, Reggie and I have got to go on living with you. Well, what's that got to do with it? You can keep patting yourself on the back, and you're going to break your arm, and we're going to have to feed you again. Hey, you know something that makes me kind of mad? Well, I thought you weren't mad at anybody. Well, looky. We took on a new stewardess at San Francisco, and she ain't even give us a tumble. Why should she? Why, a pretty girl like her, she'd ought to be interested in a bunch of heat fighters like us. Oh, <laughs> now look, Doc, you bored the other stewardess from Seattle to San Francisco with your story. Will you let this girl alone? Oh, all right. Of course, if she asks me, I'm going to have to tell her. Well, she won't ask you if she knows what's good for her. Doggone, I can't get over it. The insurance company are giving us 25,000 potatoes just for bringing Alexander Archie back alive. 25,000 good round simoleons. It was little enough. If Richard Cooper had killed Archer, the insurance company would have been out a million. Yeah. 
Now here we are on our way to Hollywood to live like three doggone kings. I still don't know why you wanted to come to Hollywood. Well, Hollywood is good as any place else to spend 25,000 smackers, ain't it? Yes, I suppose so. But, Dog, uh, we really don't have to spend it, do we? Of course we do. What good's 25,000 if we don't spend it? Mm -hmm. You agree with him, Jack? Well, it's certainly true that he won't be good for anything else until the money's gone. Mm, Quite. And it is a bother. Oh, it ain't gonna be no bother to me. (laughs) Not for long, it ain't. What's the best hotel in Los Angeles? Oh, there's several. Yeah, but the most expensive. I don't know. Well, anyway, that's where we're going. Yeah, but, Doc, we're not dressed for that sort of thing. Then we'll get dressed for it. And we'll get the most expensive automobile we can find and eat in the most expensive eating places and go to the most expensive shows. And the 25000 will last us just about one month. Well, that's just about right. I don't think I could stand being so darn expensive much longer than that. <laughs> Do you like it, Reggie? Well, as a matter of fact, I don't. Now, there's gratitude for you. I'll work out a swell way to spend our 25000 Well, just think, Reggie. Folks are waiting on us. Breakfast in bed. Waiting uh, waiting around in pretty women up to our armpits. I was wondering when that was coming out. <laughs> pretty women? Yes. But, Jack, that's the best part of the whole idea. Why, there ain't nothing I like... We know there isn't anything you like as much as a pretty woman. Well, they ain't. There's one thing, though. I'm just wondering with so much whoopee if if I'm going to be able to get home every morning in time to have breakfast in bed. (laughs) Looky, you fellas, promise me something? Well, let's hear it first. I want you two to promise me, no matter what happens, no matter what, you get me, that we ain't going to take no adventure nor solving a mystery nor nothing like that. Until until every last penny of the $25,000 is gone. I see. You don't want business to interfere with pleasure. You bet I don't. You promise? Well, now, that's a funny thing to ask, Doc. Adventure just doesn't come up and smack you in the face. You've got to go out looking for it. Yeah, but I know Jack. He smells something, and away we go. But if we do run into something... No, sir. If we run right smack into something, we're going to turn our backs and start walking the other way. What do you say to that, Jack? I say the worst is about to happen. Huh? Well, what do you mean? That stewardess has spotted us. She's coming this way with a newspaper in her hand. Hey, that's all right. Well, get ready, Reggie, to hear the story of our great adventure all over again. Mm, quite. Hello, honey. Are you Mr. Law? Oh, that's all right. Just call me Doc. Oh, I say. Then this is your picture in the paper. Yep, that's right. And, uh, these other two men... Yep, Jack Packard and Reggie York. Oh, but it's wonderful. You're the three who were almost murdered and fought those mountain lions. Yeah, w- would you like to hear about it? Doc. Oh, please. And that poor girl, Linda Joyce. You were wonderful to save her from the mountain lion the way you did. Oh, shucks, it was nothing. Uh, sit down a minute, and I'll tell you all about it. Oh, will you please do? It's his pleasure. You know what, that? I say you don't know what you're letting yourself in for. Hey, Jack, she asked me, not you. That dreadful Richard Cooper and Dr. Thorne. Thank goodness they're safely in jail. Yeah, they're locked up so tight they ain't never going to get out. But there were so many of them. I mean, beside the two leaders, how did you ever get off the island? Well, while me and Linda was out fighting the lion, Jack and Reggie here captured Cooper and Thorne and locked the rest of the gang up in one of the rooms down in the cellar. Oh, you two should be so proud of yourselves. Hey, uh, what about me out there fighting the lion? Yeah, But after all, you did have a knife. It wasn't a very big knife. And anyway, I've heard that mountain lions are cowardly. (laughs) Hey, when I got through with that cougar, I was in the hospital for two weeks. You don't look like you'd ever been sick a day in your life. Oh, wonderful. Well, I swear to Grandma, I ain't never seen a girl like you before. 
Ain't you impressed at all? Of course I am. The way Mr. York and Mr. Packard locked up 13 men single-handed, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, but maybe you don't understand about mountain lions. Mr. Packard, what happened after you locked those men up? Well, we found Alexander Archer and, and loaded him into the launch with Cooper and Thorne and brought them into Fort Forrest and turned them over to the authorities. Well, but what about all the men that were locked down in that underground room? Oh, the police went out the island and got them. Well... Well, I suppose you know you're famous. Well, newspapers have to print something, I suppose. But I still don't see why they made so much of Mr. Long and the mountain lion. Hey, look, are you just plain trying to make me mad? Why, no. Of course not. Well, whether you believe it or not, fighting mountain lions ain't no child's play. Oh, pooh. My folks live on a mountain ranch up in Washington. My mother scares mountain lions out of her chicken yard by shushing her apron at them. Hey, that ain't so. I beg your pardon. Well, hey, I, I didn't mean to say that. I, I'm sorry. Don't only... apologize. I shouldn't have come back here. Yeah. Yeah. But my mother did too scare mountain lions with her chicken apron. So there. <laughs> well, what are you two are sitting there grinning about? Too bad Cooper didn't hire you with a kitchen apron instead of a knife, Doc. All right, all right. So it's funny. Now I come to think of it, Reggie, I wonder if maybe Linda didn't scare that lion to death by shaking her skirts yes, at Yes, quite. But in that case, how did Doc get those scratches and bruises? He might have fallen down a ravine. Yeah, that would account for it, all right. Well, you two guys shut up. Well, naturally, he couldn't say that Linda killed the cougar. Naturally not. Look, you two smart guys. I beg your pardon? Yeah? I'm a passenger on the plane. Well, so what? You look like the fella whose picture I got here in my paper. See? Oh, okay, so I'm the fella. What about it? Is it true you killed the mountain lion with your bare hands? No. Kidding? But it's right here in the paper. I can't help that. Then that mountain cougar's still alive? No, he ain't. He died of being scared to death. My goodness, you don't tell me. Sure I'm telling you. My mama come along and waved her kitchen apron at him and he laid right down and kicked the bucket. Young man, you're a liar. Oh, you don't believe me. That's a fine way to talk to a gentleman. Well, if you don't believe me, just go back and ask the stewardess. She knows all the answers. Are you, gentlemen, this feller's companion? <laughs> yes. What's the matter with him? Well, he hasn't been quite right ever since we left the island. Ah, oh, so that's it. Too bad. Too bad. Why, that gum, <laughs> you jack. <laughs> Find a pair of sippy cats as I ever tied up with. Don't worry, Doc. There'll be a new batch of newspapers with stories in them when we reach Hollywood. Well, don't you say newspapers to me. Oh, look here now, Doc. I'm warning you. The first newsboy that sticks a newspaper under my nose is going to get smacked right back three generations. Oh, I say. Look down. Light. You want to be getting in? Fasten your safety belts, please. No smoking while we're landing. Fasten your safety belts, please. So your mama shushed a cougar with her apron. Yes, yeah, she did. Fasten your safety belts. First thing she knows, she's going to have herself believe in oh, that. Oh, Doc. <laughs> yeah, we're heading into the field. Well, there we are. Back on solid ground again. Well, there she is, folks. Burbank, California. Come on, let's get out of here and start spending some of that money. What'll we do? Take a taxi? Well, you doggone right. To the most expensive hotel in Los Angeles. Some place that's close to Hollywood, though. Watch your step, please. Watch your step, please. Your mama sure enough scared a cougar with her apron. You're holding up the passengers. 
please move along. Oh, so you're backing down there. I am not. Well, Doc, come on. Well, all I got to say is that your mama's one tough home. Oh, you're impossible. Take his arm, Reggie. I'm a company. Watch your step, please. A cute kid. Just as soon lies look at you, though. Quite a crowd outside the gate. Grant's got a little plane ready, getting ready to go out. I beg your pardon. Are you Mr. Jack Packard and party? Yes, that's right. This way, if you please. Hey, wait a minute. Who are you? I'm the chauffeur. If you'll just get in that big black car over there, I'll pick up your baggage. Man, oh man, look here. It's a block long. Well, what's it all about? We didn't order anyone to meet us. You must be mistaken. You said your name was Mr. Packard? That's right. Well, then, if you'll please get in the car, I'll, I'll be right back with the luggage. Jack, I don't get it. Well, neither do I. Well, what do we care? Look, it's what's in that a big old automobile. What's that? I ask you, did you ever see a prettier armful of girl than that? Well, let's climb in. What are we waiting for? transcribed adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie will come to you tomorrow at this same hour. I Love a Mystery, written and directed by Carlton E. Morse, comes to you Monday through Friday, featuring Russell Thorson as Jack, Jim Bowles as Doc Long, and Tony Randall as Reggie York. Frank McCarthy speaking. get ourselves in the most expensive places? Looky, Jack. Looky, Reggie. Silk sheets, even. All right, silk sheets. So what? So I'm going to sleep between silk sheets for the first time in my life. Honest to my grandma, fellas, if my cousin Winnie May could see me now. What makes you think we're going to be here long enough to sleep between any kind of sheets? What you mean? We've been brought here, ain't we? I still think there's been some mistake. I say, Jack, what's that? Oh, where have you been? Prowling a bit. Did you two know there's a suite of three bedrooms with separate baths? Well, didn't I tell you this was expensive stuff? We got ourselves in a bedroom for each of us. Sure, so what you mean, Jack, by saying it's a mistake? Well, there's no sense to anything that's happened so far. We get on a plane to come to Hollywood for the express purpose of spending $25,000. Well, we can spend it from here just as good as any place else. Well, that's not the point. Ain't, huh? No, it isn't. The point is, when we get off the plane, we're met by a liveried chauffeur in a fancy car, just as though we were expected and being met by appointment. No explanation, nothing. We're just invited to get in the car. That's right, and so we get in the car. And why? Well, because there's a good-looking girl waiting inside for us. Well, that's as good a reason as any for getting into a strange auto. Are you sorry you did it? Well, look what it's got us in so far. Yeah, that isn't the idea, Doc. We've been driven out to this beautiful old Hollywood mansion, and we don't know why. All we know is that this is the home of Randolph Martin. Yeah, whoever he is. And that these are to be our quarters, and the dinner will be served at seven. Hey, well, we know the name of the little old honeypot who met us at the airport. Faye Martin. Does that mean anything to you? No, of course not. <laughs> Except I like knowing it. Why? 
Because I think I'm going to like Faye when we get to know each other better. You're out of your class, Doc. What you mean, out of my class? If this house is any indication, the Martins are not only wallowing in money, but they're overflowing with the refinements and niceties of an old family. Aristocrats? If you look about, you see signs of the family tree almost everywhere. You mean we're going to be high-hatted? What happened in the car on the way out here? Huh? Well, what you mean, what happened? Why, the minute we began asking Miss Faye Martin questions, she froze solid. Yeah, only I just thought she was kind of nervous on account of us being strangers. Besides, you don't think I ain't man enough to unfreeze her. <laughs> you still don't get it, Doc. She was the uh, little princess keeping the village yokels in their place. Well, then what'd we come for? Oh, see here now. No, Doc. sir, I'll be doggone if I'll stay around folks who don't think I'm as good as they are. All right, Doc, relax, will you? The whole point is that we allowed that girl to bring us from the airport to this house without getting one bit of information out of her. We allowed ourselves to be turned over to the butler in the downstairs hall and conducted to these rooms, still not knowing what it's all about. And now we've been here for an hour, and what do we know? Well, I'll tell you what we know. What? We know that we're being neglected. That's what we know. Yes, and that's about all. Well, why don't we do something about it? We don't have to stand around with our teeth in our mouth. We ain't locked in. Let's bust out and find this here Randolph Martin. No, that's not the answer. Well, why the heck ain't it? Well, don't you agree with me, Reggie? Get aggressive and show them that we ain't folks to be pushed around. No, no, I, I don't think so. Hey, what's the matter with you two anyway? Oh, look here, Doc. Gentlefolk might not understand our strong-arm methods. Gentlefolk? People of breeding. Refinement. Hey, look, you think I'm purdy enough to sit down at the table with these folks tonight? <laughs> oh, look here. After all, we didn't come here of our own accord. They brung us. Now, just the same, Doc. I think we can wait until dinner. Oh, sure, we can wait until next week. But that ain't spending none of that $25,000 reward money we've come to Hollywood to spend. But we're bound to meet the whole family at dinner, and then the reason for our being here, if there is a reason, will come out. I say, who is this uh, Randolph Martin, anyway? I never heard of him. You, Jack? No. No, he can't be anyone. Oh, someone showing some signs of interest. Well, how doggone gracious of him not to forget us completely. I get it. Hello. Oh, good evening. I'm Jack Packard. Look. Somebody slashed me. Slashed you? Yes. Here on my arm. Here, let me see that. Well, maybe you better come in here. Yes, I guess maybe I'd better. You're bleeding all over the carpet. Come into the bathroom and hold your arm over the basin. All right. Reggie, close the door. Quiet. I say, Doc, did you see that? Yeah. What's going on here? What's she mean, somebody slashed her? Well, she was badly well bleeding. Well, who the heck suppose she is? Oh, Doc. Yeah? Bring me some iodine and cotton and some adhesive tape out of my bag. Okay, uh, coming right up. It isn't really very much of a cut. About an inch long, not too deep. Now, how'd that happen? They did it. They? Yes. I was walking down the hall. I felt a kind of sharp sting on my arm. I looked at it quick, and it was all bloody. This happened just now, out in the hall? Yes. Who was out there with you? I turned around real quick, but there wasn't anybody. Here's the stuff you wanted. No, thanks. Uh, it don't amount to much with blood washed off. Uh, how did it happen? They did it. Well, you keep saying they. Who are they? I don't know. They just won't let me alone, is all I know. Yeah? Well, what did bothering you for? I don't know. I think they're trying to kill me. Kill you? Hey, wait a minute. What did anybody want to kill a nice girl like you for? I don't know. Now then, this might sting a little. I'm pouring iodine in the cut. I don't mind pain. Good girl. There it is. 
Now, a little cotton, some adhesive tape, and you're all well again. Now, look here, Jack. Didn't you hear her say someone's trying to kill her? Yes, I heard her. Do you mind telling us your name? I'm Cherry Martin. Cherry, huh? It's really Charity. Nobody calls me that. Then you must be the sister of Faye Martin who met us at the airport. Yes. She likes Faye best, but her name's really Faith. There you are. Now come out in the other room. You're still pretty much upset. No. I'm not upset. Well, then why that fearful whisper? I'm afraid they'll hear me. Please sit down. No. No, I mustn't. I must go now. But see here, I think you should sit down and tell us about this if you're in danger. That must be the reason why we're here. Yes, that's part of the reason. But I must go now. But ain't you scared to go out in that hall? If somebody got through just slashing your arm, ain't he liable to do it again? Yes. Then why not stay here where we can look out for you? No, I mustn't stay. Well, why? I just mustn't. That's all. Would you like someone to walk to your room with you? No. I'm all right. Oh, yes, I almost forgot Hope is my other sister. I say. Faith, hope, and charity. Yes. She's the one who's in the worst danger. Hope and my brother Job. Your sister Hope and your brother Job are in the worst danger. Yes. From what? From whom? I don't know. But they do. I'll see you at dinner. Well, smack me for a baby. What goes on? Well, now things are beginning to make sense. The reason for our being here begins to emerge. Danger, murder, fear. In this house? There's your blue-blooded aristocracy you fellas was holding your breath over. Oh, it's more apparent than ever, don't you think, Jack? I mean, to say the exquisite refinement of that girl's face. The roots of an old family tree are firmly entrenched in this house. Yes, Reggie, but it's also apparent that the family tree is beginning to show signs of decay. Signs of decay? Looks to me like it was rotten clean down to the roots. Mm, something's ballet wrong, all right. Screw a family in the beginning. Whoever heard of naming girls Faith, Hope, and Charity? Sounds like a Texas camp meeting. Well, at least we know this much now. There are three sisters who go under the names of Faye, Hope, and Cherry. And there's a brother, Joe. Yeah, there's another name out of this world. And it appears, according to Cherry's story, that someone is molesting her with the intent eventually to kill her. Yeah, and right in this house, too. Funny kind of a cut she had on her arm. What kind of a knife would make a thin, long cut like that? Oh, Dr. Scalpel... Safety razor blade? I say, that's exactly what it looked like, a safety razor blade cut. Yeah, but who's going around murdering folks with an old safety razor blade? What do you do with your old safety razor blades? <laughs> but this must be pretty doggone serious, Jack. Jerry thinks they're out to kill her, yet she says her sister Hope and her brother are in even worse danger. I'd like to get hold of that Randolph Martin and give him peace of my mind. His children are in danger and he keeps us up here waiting. He doesn't tell us what it's all about and he, why doesn't he let us get on to it? Did you ever stop to think... Listen. I'm saying, a blooming infant in the house. Yeah, then one of the girls must be married. Open the door, Doc. Well, what for? Ain't you never heard a baby holler before? Never mind, open the door. Okay. All I hope is it don't yell at night. Has a fine pair of lungs. Stuffed a nipple in its mouth or something. <laughs> Jack, I say. Come on, what are we waiting for? Here. Here's the stairs. And there she is lying down at the foot. Come on. Oh, doggone. Here, wait a minute. Straighten her out. Uh, oh, hey, it's Cherry. Is she dead? No. No, she's not dead. No. 
I'm not dead. Well, hey, she, she's conscious. And after a tumble down all them stairs. All right, what is it this time? Oh, hey. Well, why are you all standing there gaping? What is it? Your daughter just fell downstairs. My granddaughter, you mean. Is she hurt? No. No, I'm not hurt. Oh, falling downstairs. I didn't fall. Somebody pushed me. Hey, they, they did? What's that bandage on your arm? Somebody slashed me. Can you stand? Yes. I think so. Then get to your feet. Here, uh, let me help you. Huh? There you are. Thank you. Perhaps I should explain how we happen to be here. I know more about that than you do, young man. You do? I should. I brought you. Then you're... Randolph Martin. And I need help. I'm having granddaughter trouble. transcribed adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie will come to you tomorrow at this same hour. I Love a Mystery, written and directed by Carlton E. Morse, comes to you Monday through Friday, featuring Russell Thorson as Jack, Jim Bowles as Doc Long, and Tony Randall as Reggie York. Frank McCarthy speaking. Okay, that's the first two chapters. Thing That Cried in the Night was originally broadcast with a different set of actors in 1939, 10 years before this. They called it Hollywood Cherry at that point, which is a lousy title compared to The Thing That Cried in the Night. So uh, Carlton E. Morse was uh, better at writing titles by 1949. (laughs) Anyway, different cast in the earlier one. People who were around when this show was originally on constantly talk about how the earlier version was so much better than the later version. I don't know really how to judge it as I've never heard a complete run of or a complete even a complete story from the earlier version. So I can't really say if it really was. I can say that I have a preference for this later version simply because I enjoy hearing Tony Randall as a young actor appearing as Reggie York in these things. I think that He's perfect for the role, and um, he was such a part of people's lives in the in the 60s, being Felix Unger and the Odd Couple and all that kind of thing. Anyway, that was two episodes, although <laughs> kind of run together with openings cut and endings cut and uh, all the rest of that, but you, you got the body of the story, and I guess that's what counts. We'll be back next Thursday with uh, chapters three and four. 
And as if you've never heard this before, it's just starting to get interesting with people being slashed in the arm and pushed downstairs and crazy stuff happening. I also checked on something while I was uh, listening to the show. It was not aired in the afternoon. These shows were broadcast at 7.45 p.m. in the evening, which makes more sense given the subject matter and the, the way they were done, not as a typical children's show. So 7.45 in the evening would be just before radio prime time, so to speak. And so it, it kind of fits right in there uh, and more in tune with uh, teenage boys than with younger younger children who by 7.45 in the evening back in those days were probably getting ready for bed. So anyway, there we go. Back next Thursday with chapters three and four and back on Tuesday with more of the good old days radio show, comedy shows. So until then, this is John Tefteller saying thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>